everybody, and welcome to episode 129 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, hitting people with expired soup cans and hitting Pokemon with fruit, the Dave Ryan experience. At 3 Sony, Sony pulls out of E3 2019. The Steam Link is dead. PS4 reaches another milestone, and in our book club this week, we're going to start talking about some of our Game of the Year nominees. It's that time of the year. Let's start the show. Link to the Cast, episode 129, from your friends over at linktothecast.wordpress.com. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. Glad to be back on the show after a brief hiatus, and I am joined by my ever-faithful co-host, the platforming prodigy, that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this evening? I am very well. It's been some time since You could say, you could say, it's been a while. Yeah, I chose my words carefully <laughs> to try and get around that, but you dragged it kicking and screaming because you're a garbage oh, you're- man. You're goddamn fucking right, son. <laughs> but uh, how are things in the world, O Robinson? Uh, I'm, yeah. I, I feel like you're asking that genuinely because we haven't actually spoken for some... Well, you know, we, we have our passing uh, Facebook Messenger conversation. Well, there's about six different groups we're in when it comes to Facebook Messenger. But yeah. uh, Passing ships in the night, you might say. Something like that, yeah. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm fine. Um... It was a relatively quiet weekend. Um, Jesus, when was the last... I went to Madrid at the, the start of the month. I'm sure I've spoken to you about Madrid on the show since then. No, maybe. no, no, it's been... no, no. This is not a thing that's happened. Okay, well, Madrid's good. Uh, Bernabeu Stadium's cool. They got a lot of Champions League trophies there, so, you know, there's that. Um, and then I haven't done much of note since then. But that was good. I ate some nice food, so quality times how are you how's the house i'm, I'm good the, the the health is good it's been a bit of a hectic time because uh we're we're getting the house the reason i haven't been on the show is we're getting the house done up at the moment so between honestly the dave that, your priorities sickening yeah indeed uh, between the fact that i'm kind of pinned to my sitting room in the evenings and i couldn't really record a show with toby barking or or not barking or trying to jump on me or eat the microphone um, and the fact that even if I did manage to squirrel away a place upstairs while it's being done, that um, it, it's it's just like <laughs> it's din of floorboards being put down and, and holes being cut in walls is a bit too much for my liking uh, at the moment. But what what can you do? What can you do, my friend? Um, hold on, because I believe I believe we may have a guest because. My God, is that Jack Lazell's music? Yeah, this is the music of the Human League family. They're a hot new band. You might have heard of them. <laughs> I, uh, I'm currently sat in a diner in Camden, being an absolute trendy wanker. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what are you eating this evening? What are you out for? Yeah, not gonna lie, I do have a thing of chicken wings in front of me. Very exciting. So progress tonight, Dave. I, I believe it was floated the idea of actually doing a grapple, but I couldn't do it because I'm actually grappling myself. Yeah. What are they, what are they doing? Are doing a show on a Monday for? Is that like? Um, is, is that, that WWE to... were running this weekend? Yeah, seems like it. I would imagine so. Yeah. It got moved four or five months ago, I think. 
Um, so I guess they would have had visibility of that. And yeah, here I am on a Monday night after a hard day's work, wearing a wearing a full suit, <laughs> unlike anyone else in there. I walked in and I was like, maybe there'll be a few other people and like work clothes. Like, no, everyone's got black t-shirt and jeans on. So yep, just me. <laughs> Just you in your suit and your plate of wings. What a sight. In fairness, exactly. in fairness, I go to shows dressed like that and I haven't just been at work, so... <laughs> this is this is fair, this is true. Uh, Mark, you, you go to shows willingly in a smart business suit with a nice dress shirt on. Well, of course, I have, uh, I have managerial experience and there are wrestlers who I can guide and mould and shape for the future, so I need to be dressed to impress. So you're just chilling out, basically trying to manage people. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a freelance like wrestling manager. If you don't have your LinkedIn page oh. up to date with that information, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> Everyone you... go immediately LinkedIn Mark Robinson, and if Pro Wrestling Manager isn't on there, you owe everyone a coke that emails you. That's how it goes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, Mark, do you supply your own uh, tennis racket for managerial gigs, or do you require your props to be there in situ when you arrive at the venue? Well, I the the, the tennis racket is uh, is a little bit cliched. I like to advance it for the twenty first century. Lacrosse. Yeah, I was going to say that or a hockey stick. You know, it's a little bit bigger. You can hit more of a surface area with it. Yeah. So you should have gone um, to run. I I'm just now picturing you being introduced with Howard Finkel saying, The Goon! <laughs> no, it would be The Goon. The Goon! And Manager. <laughs> Accompanied by Mark. Yeah. So who, who, who's on the show tonight, Jack? Um, I believe the main event is Large Trent Seven um, in his Atlas Open Challenge. So I'm hoping for someone good. Potentially uh, one half of Aussie Open, Mark Davis, I think he's got a title shot that he's owed, and he has a cast it in yet, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, yeah, and there's, I think, uh, Jimmy Havoc versus Drew Parker in a match that will probably be scary and two men trying to kill each other. Um, Eddie Dennis facing off against Mark Haskins in a guy who tried to be champion versus a guy who wants to be champion. So yeah, a few little decent matches for a Monday night. Jack, before we let you go here from the program and let you eat your wings, I got one question for you. We're a month out from Game of the Year. How is preparation going? How, how is your pile of shame looking a month out? Not going to lie, Dave. It's going to be an effort to get through everything. Um, I'll see what I can do. Um, I don't say much shame, but I need to give everything, I would say at least a minimum five hours. So I've probably got about 10, <laughs> 10 things I want to try and hit before. Just oh, even a little bit. Um, just to, just because of games that you floated. I think that's the thing is you share a chat and then someone floats something and someone floats something else. And, oh, yeah. It's going to be tough. Have you told the, the listeners about this slightly changed format this year, Dave? Uh, yeah, and this is a, a good time to introduce it, Jack. Uh, for the game of the year this year, we're actually going to be getting the the listeners involved and putting out a, a form on Google through our Twitter, our Facebook, uh, the show notes and everything. And you are going to vote on our pre-agreed nominees and you will be the tie-breaking vote on the panel should we need to go to the judges' scores. Um, so it's going to be a little bit exciting, hopefully rolling out this week once I get all of our host nominations back. 
Um, is that a hint? Because I haven't sent mine yet. No, no, it's a reminder that I need to send my own one to myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Jack, uh, but la- final question. Did you bite on anything games-wise in the Black Friday sales? Oh, I thought you were going to say, did you buy on Wings? And yes, the answer has <laughs> been yes, multiple times. Um, you know what? I bought Minute, because I think mean, you said that you wanted me to, um, to play that through. Mm-hmm. But nothing else. Nothing else. Pretty much everything else that I have or wanted to play more of or whatever, I, I already own. So I'd already got Hitman and McCann, a copy of Pokemon that I want to play. And yeah, just have a minute and then finish a few little bits more and maybe God of War go a bit further in that because I, I got not too deep in, but relatively deep. So yeah, it's more about finishing things off than it is about purchasing, I think, for me. Ah, good. Good to hear. Well, Jack, it's been a pleasure to have you calling into the program. We'll allow you to enjoy your wings and your wrestling in peace now. Uh, ah, li- live long much. and prosper, my friend. You too. Take it easy, guys. Bye bye. Back to our regularly scheduled programming, mm-hmm. and that was where I kind of wanted to. Our last question there is kind of where I wanted to uh, pivot to, and that was Black Friday, which is kind of the other, the most recent big thing that happened. Um, in between the last podcast and this one, um, Mark, any sales jumping out to you at all? Because I fell for a fucking whopper, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, no, I'm going to give you a peak Robinson answer. Um, in that, uh, I ha- have been completely broke over the Black Friday period, so it's been quite the liberating experience of not giving mm-hmm. a single fuck about Black Friday or Cyber Monday, and mm. um just letting it all pass by me so uh, i know i have not partaken in the black friday sales of 2018 now i started out black friday doing great i i bought a few things but they weren't for me they were christmas presents and i was like aha i've made a fantastic saving here getting like stocking fillers and a couple of actual sizable presents so i was happy enough with that but the problem with that mark is if you have a very good first half of black friday it makes it easier to rationalize indulgency in the second half of Black Friday. So I found myself sitting on Twitter looking at people who were like Wario64 and other people who were kind of uh, retweeting good offers and stuff like that. And friend of the show, I'm calling him out. I'm calling him out. Barry Murphy, uh, soon to be uh, yet again a co-host of Game of the Year, uh, posted an offer. And now I, long ago, I can't remember whether it was on the pod or not, I said that VR was not a thing I was going to bite on until it came down to a reasonable price. And my reasonable price that I definitely said out loud, if not recorded, was under 200 euro for the headset. Hey, Dave, guess what came under 200 euros? Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A Black Friday PlayStation VR deal uh, where you got the, the headset and PlayStation Worlds for 189 euro. And then for an extra ten, uh, no, an extra twenty euro, you could get what Barry is bigging up as a late contender for Game of the Year in Astrobot. I have heard, uh, I've heard things about Astrobot. So I bit on that, uh, and, and I got that, and it was kind of my like, as you know, I've wanted to play Super Hot VR for God knows how long. 
Uh, there's a couple of things I have, like Resident Evil 7, which are VR compatible. Uh, Tetris Effect is something I'd really like to play in VR a couple of times before I figure out where that's going to slot on my award nominees, because I've heard as a, as unbelievable an experience as it is, it's even, it's even more so in, in VR. So that headset should be arriving here in a couple of days, uh, and I will, I, will, I will keep you all abreast. But that was my Black Friday indulgence. I didn't buy a load of small things. I want one big thing, and fuck me. I can't believe it. So I need to come around and watch five Blu-rays of PWG and play VR with you. Yeah, I think so. You get in that Resident Evil 7 VR, uh, yeah? No, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I get that. Because something else I... One of the reasons I couldn't record last week, apart from the the construction, was the fact that I was on a first aid responder course. Uh, for those fucking things are intensive. Three full work days I was there doing that. Um, but should you suffer cardiac arrest while playing uh, VR, I will be at least reasonably confident in my ability to uh, revive you. I mean, I suffer from cardiac arrest dealing with Skype half of the time, but. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, no, I I really, like, honestly, truly, from the bottom of the pits of my soul, am perfectly fine not playing <laughs> Resident Evil 7 VR. Coward, that's what take, I say. You're fucking right. I will happily take <laughs> your recommendation and suggestion that it's excellent, and then leave the room. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, shall we go on and talk about some video games? That is why we're here, sir. Sure, why not? Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, I'm going to hand it off to you because you're playing a sequel to a game that you love very, very dearly, a previous book club topic. Yeah, so I was thinking about um, end of the year and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be played. And for some reason... You would have thought that when Guacamelee 2 came out, I would have been all over that straight away. Uh, but some reason, for some reason, it passed me by. And I was it around that. the time you moved? I wonder. Uh, maybe, maybe not. But I still don't think that's uh, an acceptable excuse. Um, <laughs> but you know, there you go. But yes, I am a fan of the original Guacamelee. It has been uh, a book club feature here on the show. Um, I wasn't a, as big of a fan of Severed. Um, I it, I liked the idea of it, and obviously the artwork style that uh, Juicebox Studios uh, provides is is I'm a big fan of. Um, but that particular game didn't hit me in the ways that Guacamole did. Um, so Guacamole Two, to a large degree, it certainly is more of the same in terms of being a uh, luchador-themed metroidvania with uh, heavy emphasis on combat and platforming and expanding on how you uh, take on enemies and traverse the environment with the um, power-ups that you earn along the way. Uh, this game, uh, it, it, <laughs> it goes a little bit more with the story um, because the thing with the original Guacamelee is that it, it kind of has a, a kind of nice little kind of neat bow to uh, its its story. Um, and so I was kind of thinking, like, how... What's the approach going to be in terms of uh, exploring further into that, into that without, 
using different characters or whatever. Uh, and it, it kind of undoes the uh, ending of the original. And it kind of... I'm not going to say does it in a lazy way. Um, it, it does it in a way where they've obviously grabbed a concept from elsewhere and gone with it, which is kind of lazy. Um, but it you can run with it. Basically, what I'll say is, you know the episode of Rick and Morty where... Um, they go to the. Oh no, you're one of those people now. Yeah, I know. Where <laughs> they go to the cancel cancel of, of Rick, and there's like different Ricks from different uh, universes. Yeah. It's it basically does that to a certain degree, um, but without the obnoxious random uh, fandom um, that exists with Rick and Morty. Um, and so you have that that the game kind of uses um, for the kind of motivation. But then after that, it, it is a lot. Of more of the same in terms of uh, you are um, this kind of famous luchador, and you go along and you pick up different power ups that help you um, to get to different areas that you couldn't do before. I will say this game feels a lot more linear, I would say, than the first. Um, it is obviously still open world, but there isn't as much so far what I feel kind of backtracking um, like you know an item that you need to get to a certain area you're going to get that item before you have to go to the area and and so far um, anything that I've picked up it's mainly just to kind of go back and pick up like uh, treasure chests that have coins or heart pieces or um, kind of spirit bars you can call them that um, so it, it feels a lot more linear than, than the first one, but what it does differently with the pacing, um, is it has a lot more, um, sections where, for example, so one of the things that, uh, you can do, that you could do in the first, is you can turn into a chicken, or you can, uh, use what's called polo power, um, and you use the chicken to, uh, get into smaller, tight areas that in human form you can't get to. They expand that a lot more with uh, a lot more mechanics as as you as a chicken. Um, so you have like a slide uh, slide tackle, if you will. Um, you can kind of uh, jump and, and launch a diagonal angle. Um, and there's a lot more of these kind of focused platforming sections. Um, they're kind of like small mini dungeons. Um, and in there, within there, usually you, you'll pick up a, a power up uh, that uses chicken. So it has a lot more of these kind of concentrate, concentrated platforming sections, and they're really well designed. They're super fun. Um, nothing that is overly uh, strenuous or difficult, but um, they're they're tight, they're compact, and uh, I think they're very well designed. So those parts, they're really well put together. Um, there's also kind of, you know, uh, in, in Grand Theft Auto, you can get like the rampage bits where you just can go mad and just kill, like you, you have to try and kill as many enemies in a short amount of time. Um, you kind of have a similar thing, but you, when you're a chicken, you kind of grow like 20 feet tall and you can just wipe out everything on the screen and get like a 200 hit combo. And it's, it's super fun. Uh, yeah, it's... If you played the first one, there's no reason not to play the second one. Um, it's, it is a lot of more of the same, but I mean, it's I'm, I wasn't coming in, into this looking for you know some sort of uh, complete overhaul of what Guacamole is. I was more than happy to just have another world to explore using similar mechanics from the first one with 
parts of it slightly tweaked and slightly expanded, and and it's done that. Uh, and I've done about seven hours of it, and uh, it, there are a couple of bits which are quite tricky with the platforming. But yeah, it's 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 a good time. Uh, I don't think it's uh, a end of year uh, candidate with some of the other stuff that we have to talk about, but it's good, and it's uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Cool. Um, well, I've been playing a couple of big ones that are definitely... Excuse me. One of them I, I was fairly sure was going to feature on some my list, and another one is make a very late play for it in a game I didn't think that was going to be interesting. But let's talk about the obvious candidate first, and that's Hitman Season 2. All right. Come on. Let's do this. Uh, so I haven't been on the, the show for a couple of weeks, and it did drop, I think, two weeks ago this Tuesday or Friday. I can't remember whether it came out on a Tuesday or Friday. It's one or the other, obviously. Um... And yeah, so the, now speaking of, of speaking of Guacamole Two, is this more of the same? In a way, yes. Um, now it, it bears repeating that this is a game that shouldn't exist <laughs> because how IOI managed to get out of Square Enix and be allowed to keep the the Hitman IP as they went is something that remains just astonishing to me. Um, and how under all that turmoil they managed to get this game out and how it the game managed to end up being this good. All, all of these things completely evade my understanding. But uh, you've got another... Is this another six maps in this season? And yeah, like, in a certain way, it is more of the same. But with the way Hitman 1 was built, more of the same isn't bad. Like, you shouldn't always need to fix what isn't broken in in video games it's one thing if it's like we constantly um give out about far cry how they just constantly repeat the formula and don't really they, they add a little bit of scale to it every time um but not much else uh hitman 2 they have how many maps are there um it's a fair seven eight uh, I'm trying to have a look here. Sorry, at the da, 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 do they list in this where the uh, six yeah six missions oh. at the moment, and there is uh, like a season pass where there actually will be additional maps and missions coming, um, and of an un, an undetermined amount. Uh, all the, the kind of menus and the mechanisms of the game when you're in it are all very familiar to people who played Hitman Season 1. It's safe to say if you enjoyed Hitman Season 1, you will very much enjoy Hitman Season 2. And what they have done here is rather than try and throw the baby out of the bathwater, reinvent the wheel or anything like that, they've gone, right, what, what worked very well about hitman one and there's that isn't there a game makers toolkit on just the the mastery of the level design of hitman season one it's um it's an absolute marvel at how how many moving parts there are in those maps uh, and how many different ways you can approach a target and how the game teaches you to be a better hitman um throughout just absolutely marvelous and they've kept that core but again the even the first map, uh, the first proper map, there's a prologue chapter that kind of reteaches you how to play the game. And also, in the process of doing so, teaches you how things are slightly different. So, um, in, in the prologue chapter, I'm not really spoiling any story details, although the story is like the least important part of these games. Um, you break into a house that there's nobody in it 
for for a start so that makes it immediately different to season one there's a slightly different tone being struck there you're breaking in um trying to knock out all the cctv before you get in and you get up to this thing that triggers a cutscene, and then everybody comes back to the house so your goal instead of trying to infiltrate murder and escape it's that you've broken in quite easily and then you're in the very heart of this property and everybody comes back and you have to try and get out while also knocking off your target on the way. And there are very creative, similar to that, there are very creative twists in a couple of levels that don't make it an obvious just go run, kill the dude, then get out. Um, Even in that prologue chapter, there is um, immediately the only exit out of that map is guarded once that that person comes back and you've killed the person it's immediately guarded so you have to figure out a distraction uh to get the guards away from the the boat because you were escaping by sea so there are a couple of little interesting twists on that they have expanded the uh the opportunities are now so you remember the where you'd eavesdrop and there'd be an opportunity that you could follow that was kind of a loose objective that was a creative way to kill somebody yes mm. So now you have what are called mission stories, which are like, say, between five and ten proper, well-thought-out versions of those, fully realized that'll get you from start of map to murder the person. Some of them you overhear, and some of them are embedded on your menu from the start. And when you clear the level for the first time, they'll go, hey, here are some of the fun mission stories you didn't do. Maybe you'd like to immediately go back and up your mastery by following these. So that's pretty cool. Uh, And then, of course, you have the kind of lesser opportunities where there are different things you can do throughout the world, different ways you can kind of pick up a bit of intel or figure out patterns and try and do something a little bit creative in the process. And there are just absolute scores upon scores of different little opportunities you can accomplish going uh, around the map. Um, It still strikes that balance really well between being a really serious, complex assassination game where it really feels like a game of chess that you're trying to really strategize. It's like, well, what order am I going to take out these targets in? How am I going to do it? Can I get out of where I plan to do it? And without alerting the other target, there's one map in particular where it is absolutely essential that the second target doesn't know that the first target is killed because the first and second targets both have a kill switch for somebody that absolutely must be kept alive uh, and exfiltrated from the site. So again, another clever little twist on the the kind of the rote objectives of Hitman Season 1. Um, it's an incredibly well-designed game. It's an incredibly clever game. And like I said, it, it strikes that balance well. It, it's the serious assassin- assassination game, but has an unbelievable amount of slapstick comedy in it. Uh, for instance, in, I think it's the Miami. This is the, the famous one that they showed at E3 that has you dressed up as a giant flamingo mascot that's in my avatar on Twitter. Um, uh, in that there is an XP bonus for completing an opportunity that involves you killing somebody by slapping them in the side of the head with a fish and knocking them off a pier. <laughs> uh, in reference to the famous Monty Python uh, fish slapping dance sketch. How does um how do the levels vary, um, or compare to the the first season in terms of just their scale and uh, um, complexity? I will say, so you know how we would, 
I think you would agree with me in saying that Sapienza is probably the high watermark of season one in terms of design. So, uh, I love I love Paris and I love Hokkaido, uh, the last mission. But I, I, I think Sapienza was where it was at in season one. And even I think compared... it's because that one really felt like um, as close to feeling like kind of like a Bond level almost. Yeah. Like a kind of secret bunker area. Even compared to those maps in season one, the Miami, which is the first proper map in season two, is probably double the size and complexity of Miami. There are, Mark, there is so much going on. Like you are arriving there in the middle of an F1 race. So the cars are whipping around. There's an entire underground complex, which is just a fucking labyrinth. Uh, between underground car parks, security places, different corridors that'll bring you up into different buildings. There are loads of, like, there's the stands that are packed with fucking people. There are so many people walking around this map. Um, uh, so many different opportunities. There's, like, your um, VIP area where people are enjoying their, their food and drink that you have to try. And, like, even getting into the VIP area is a challenge in and of itself. There's the pit buildings that have the different crews in it um, that you can go and either like some of the, the opportunities involved. You can you can pose as one of the F1 racers and I think maybe even get involved in the race. Um, you can also sabotage one of the targets is driving an F1 car in that race. So you can choose to sabotage their car by putting uh, sugar in the fuel tank or putting a tire back on a bit loose so that the car crashes and explodes. You can also go up beside the pit building to where the kind of IEC, I don't know anything about F1, but you know the guys that, that wave the checkered flags? Yeah, the marshals. Yeah, so you can knock one of them out, hide them, pose as them, and disqualify your target. <laughs> okay. Or you can disqualify the other guy because then you know she will win, which will put her into position on the podium which will uh, unlock two or three different ways of killing her on the podium alone. Uh, Neither it, of them sound like particularly subtle ways of doing it. You would be surprised. Like the, the first time I got away with killing her without being noticed was her on the podium, because by the time I had set things up so far in advance, that by the time what happened happened, I was halfway across the map. So it looked like an accident. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 like it, this isn't going to blow your mind, but this game is really clever. Sure. Uh, I I played the Miami map, so I've beaten. I've done a run through and beaten every single one, and now I'm going back and I'm doing the kind of upping the mastery as I go, and I've played a lot of Miami. And looking at that completion screen at the end where it shows the the kind of the opportunities you haven't done in black and white and the ones you have are, are in color. I still haven't scratched the surface really of some of the wild shit you can do on that. Obviously, I murdered one of my targets dressed as a flamingo. <laughs> um, because why the fuck oh, yeah, not? Naturally. There's a and even to that, there's a whole like spinning plate thing because I <laughs> see, I don't want to spoil it too much, but like I, I'll just say this. This one little route, and then I'll leave it at that and we'll move on from Hitman. So the guy who's dressed as a flamingo isn't even the actual flamingo. It's another guy who knocked out the original flamingo and stole his costume, but then in the process of doing so, lost his car keys. So you have to go and this knock out... This just sounds out... like Hitman Inception. 
Yeah, you have to go knock out the decoy flamingo, hide him, find his car keys, because inside in his van is the intel you need to go and finish this opportunity. It's fucking wild. Like, it really is. And there are some kind of... Your first time going through isn't going to be all that graceful. Like, the last mission is incredibly difficult. Like, on, on a level that not even... You remember how long it took me to figure out Marrakesh in season one? I would do Marrakesh a hundred times over <laughs> sooner than attempt that one for well, the first sure, time. But, but that's that's kind of like what you want, you know. You yeah, yeah. It's a really cool set, and it was really rewarding when I finally did do it. But Jesus Christ, it was so difficult to find a venue or a, a, even a method of killing these two targets, um, let alone doing the territory objective in the process of that. Um, but people will see what I mean when they come to that final map. It is absolutely wild. It's a fantastic game. Um, and if you had the Game of the Year edition for Season 1, Season 1 automatically gets installed into Hitman 2. So you've got all your maps in there, and they've kind of, from what I understand, with the Game of the Year and with the Hitman 2 upgrade, they've gone back in and peppered in some different opportunities and different things into season one. So it's, it's worth a revisit of that stuff. And then the, the final say I will have on it is that uh, I did eliminate Sean Bean, the elusive target who re- he remains the, the first elusive target in the game for the next 10 days, I think or so. Uh, and yeah, it was, it, it was nerve wracking because with those elusive, have you done an elusive target before Mark? Uh, yeah, I've done one. So, yeah, you only get one opportunity to do it. Um, It's really difficult. Uh, There is really no assistance whatsoever compared to the normal level. Uh, I got them killed. They they, they kind of play it as like the the most difficult kind of difficulty setting. You know, you you go into it once you've completely uh, explored the map and and have like multiple ways of... uh, you know, finding where uh, items are and outfits are. So, you know, mm-hmm. it really pushes you to be able to think on the fly um, by having to do that with, with no yeah. kind of training walls completely off. Yeah, so I did a really clever, like the first two thirds of my attempt on Sean Bean were really clever. And at the end, I got pinned in and they were about to recognize me and I just opened fire with an assault rifle <laughs> and fucking legged it and I did it. Now, <laughs> like did, it's, it's... did he say for England, James? No, sadly, he did not. But there was some... Oh, fuck. I was going to bring it up on this show. I, I should have written it down. He made some sort of reference to... I can't remember whether it was uh, Goldeneye or something else he died in or what, but uh, it, it popped me huge anyway. Uh, but yeah, that that's Hitman. Uh, I will briefly mention Pokemon Let's Go, I, uh, which I got the other day, ha- rewarding myself for finishing Hitman. Uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu is the version I got. And Mark, I am pleased to report that the degree to which that game is Pokemon Go is very minimal. Um, That was my worry. My worry was that they're talking about this like it's a soft remake of Pokemon Yellow, but it's just going to be a way to try and coax me into playing Pokemon Go. And I don't want to do that because I didn't even like Pokemon Go when it was Pokemon Go for that long. Um, But it is pretty much... With one very, with one notable exception, it is just a really pretty redone version of Pokemon Yellow. Um, 
some of it is a little bit simplified. Like I'm in Mount Moon at the moment, and it seems to me that instead of kind of using Flash or allowing you to get lost in Mount Moon, there's an easy way through Mount Moon because Team Rocket, and I don't just mean random Team Rocket, I mean Jesse and James Team Rocket with me out are running through Mount Moon causing chaos. And if you just keep following them, it seems to be leading me through what I remember as the path through Mount Moon. Um, so like some elements of that are a little bit simplified. And the one way in which it is Pokemon Go is when you encounter wild Pokemon specifically. So all the trainer battles, the gym battles are still completely intact. You do those as normal as you would in any other Pokemon game. But when you do wild Pokemon, it is essentially the Pokemon Go setup where you only have Pokeballs and your lures and your treats and things like that to make it a bit easier uh, to try and capture them. And it involves you using the, the, the Joy-Con, you reel it back and throw it forward and you try to get the timing right. I've seen, by the way, I've seen, by the way, uh, one of my friends at work has the uh, the Pokemon Ball controller that you can use. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I'll tell you what, if I was eight or ten years old, like I was when the, the Game Boy games were coming out, I would have bought the fuck out of that, <laughs> that Pokeball. I'll tell you what. But um, yeah, so you just kind of with the Joy-Con, you reel it back behind your head or you don't even have to go that far. Just kind of put it vertical and then throw it back horizontal. Um, and you try there's concentric circles around the Pokemon and one of them dilates so as the green circle closes tighter and tighter if you can get the Pokeball in through that green circle the tighter it is when you get the ball in that green circle the more you're the more chance you have of catching them and the better bonus you get at the end um, and I would be annoyed about that because obviously Mark as you well know being a Pokemon guy encountering wild Pokemon is one of the easiest ways particularly at the start of the game to grind up your levels indeed, of your party indeed uh, but you do get XP for your party for doing that, just for catching wild Pokemon. Even though your Pokemon aren't coming out and fighting them at all, you still get some. Now, obviously, not nearly as much as you get in a trainer battle, but still you get a nice little boost, which is helpful. Um, so given that they've done that, that the one part of it that is Pokemon Go doesn't annoy me. So now I'm basically just enjoying a really pretty version of Pokemon Yellow. Um, and it, it's got some of the, the latter Pokemon game stuff in there. Like, you know, from, was it Sun and Moon, where you're able to care for your Pokemon, like pet them and feed them treats and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a little thing. Now, it's not pushed on you heavy, but you can do it that with Pikachu or Eevee, whichever one you pick, there's a little play with Pikachu thing on your menu. And it's just the basics of, like, just pat them and feed them a treat. There's not even, at least, unless it gets unlocked later, there isn't, like, the brushing and things like that that you have in Sun and Moon. So it's a little bit trimmed down the experience, that particular part of the experience, which I enjoy. Um... Aside from that, it's just, yeah, it's just a really good remake of Yellow, which I'm happy with. Now, because I'm that retro guy, I would be even happier if at Christmas they went, oh, here's fucking Pokemon Red and Blue, the Game Boy version just ported to Switch because it would look fucking boss on Switch. But, you know, as it goes, I'm playing Gen 1 Pokemon all over again, and I'm loving it. And I think the anime... <laughs> The animations are fantastic. Uh, Pikachu following you looks cool and him sitting on your shoulder looks cool. You're able to get different costumes for Pikachu as it goes along. Uh, here's, um, here's, here's a question for you. Does it in yeah. any way incorporate or does it in any way like attach itself to the prior Pokemon games? Is there Pokemon Bank or is it its own complete isolated game? 
Uh, I haven't really walked around the Pokemon Center too much to see if Pokemon Bank is a feature of the PC. One thing I really do like that I think it took from Pokemon Sun and Moon, because I think it has something similar to this, is now you have a, um, a, a Pokemon storage box compartment in your backpack. So you don't have to go to the Pokemon Center to change your party up, which is very much appreciated. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the, because obviously you see it's, it's kind of dicey because it's gen one Pokemon only. I, there is a link between it and Pokemon go people have talked about where you can get Pokemon you captured on go to come across onto let's go. But as far as I know, that process doesn't go both ways. Once it goes on to Pokemon, let's go, it's stuck there. You'll never have it back on your phone. Um, but that doesn't really, like, I don't play Pokemon Go, so that's not really a concern I have. Um, but yeah, so far, I'll, I'll report back on it as I get further in, because they're doing pretty clever. Like, anything that's new, they're rolling it out very gradually. So obviously, I'm in Mount Moon at the moment, and I haven't had too much rolled out on top of me. But from what I remember, it's a pretty faithful recreation, even in terms of, like, the things people say um, of the original Pokemon. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, shall we go straight into the news, my friend? We shall. The news! News on the mark! Right, first in the news this week, Mark, and this is one that broke a little bit more than a week ago, but it's been confirmed and reconfirmed since at the Yazoo, and that is Sony has pulled completely from E3 2019. So this started with a rumor that uh, Sony hadn't booked a space at the convention center next year for E3. Um, That was then confirmed in a statement from Sony that they weren't going to be there. The initial statement was kind of ambiguous, uh, suggesting that maybe they would do a kind of breakout event that wasn't in the... uh, the, the convention center that they'd still do closed door testing of game or closed door appointments for games and that they would do like something along the lines of say is it Bethesda that have their or no it's e, uh, it's EA have their own kind of thing down the road from E3 where they have their own events set up that maybe Sony would do that break away from the building or maybe they'd even do something more akin to a Nintendo Direct that they wouldn't be there in person but they'd still have this hour hour and a half long kind of uh, cavalcade of announcements uh, that just posted digitally around the same time that they normally would. But then Sean Layden, I believe it was, who has um, stepped into Andy House's shoes as kind of the head honcho over there at Sony, um, has since gone on to basically say, no, we're not doing fucking anything. Nothing like that is happening from Sony at at E3 2019 and in some ways Mark this is kind of bittersweet because we we knew that E3 especially when they started letting the public in because you knew that was a kind of like uh, an attempt to grab the the mind share of people again but you could sense that from the developers and the platform holders this was the way people were starting to feel about E3 and it was kind of amazing that right obviously Konami, Konami were the first big ones to pull out a few years ago but that's because they're shithouses um, <laughs> but N- Nintendo being the first of the platform holders to lead the way out of E3 is very interesting. And I will say they haven't said whether they'll be back or not. I would imagine they will leave the door helpfully open. Um, and and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of get into that a bit more why, because I, I would say we'll, we'll have some speculation as to why they were, they're not coming next year. But uh, 
Mark, uh, your your feelings on this? I I, I think there's two factors at play here. Um, mm. I think that Nintendo making the decision that they did uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, and the way that they look at E3, and the fact that they are still uh, successful without the need to be as as present at E3 as uh, they have in the past. Uh, I definitely think that is uh, an eye-opener for for publishers and developers that the way to use E3 isn't as necessary as it was before, and certainly with um, other events, other things, whether it be like Gamescom or um, the PAX uh, shows throughout the year. Um, or even just um, the the isolated events that Sony or Microsoft run, uh, or, or Nintendo with their Nintendo Directs. Um, just the way that E3 is used is... It's still obviously uh, an important event, but you can see that with them opening up to the public over the last couple of years, that as this all-in-all uh, trade show, um, it doesn't have the punch that it once did. I think the other side of it as well, um, and I don't know if you agree with me on, on this or not, is that I reckon Sony just don't have a lot to show, and they're like, oh, fuck yeah. it. it. Nintendo got away with this, I'm pretty sure we can. We don't have a lot oh. to show, so fuck it, we're out. I, I think if they showed up next year, they, the only games that have to show are all the games they showed this year <laughs> at, at E3, except Spider-Man they can't show because Spider-Man is already out. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a combination... Um, it's a combination of they don't know what's coming out or sorry they don't have anything new that's coming out nothing big that would kind of steal the show at E3 so why spend potentially millions of dollars creating a big showcase and uh, a furore over games we already know about and then I would say the other side of things is the one big thing they have on the back burner they don't want to fucking talk about and that's the next PlayStation Um, and I think it's looking more and more, reading the tea leaves lately, Mark, it seems more and more like that thing is pretty much nailed on for 2020. Yeah, it's what's like um, like a seven-year cycle um, yeah. like between... Obvi- obviously elongated, um, the, the PS3 and the PS4's um, cycles have been elongated one because of the financial crises that were going on from twenty from 2008 onwards and, and number two, just the fact that I don't think anyone was expecting the PS4 to sell quite as well as it did so they didn't really need to rush on to the next thing. Yeah, I mean, it's still... Um, between even the PS3 to the PS4 and now from the PS4 to the PS5, it's always felt like it seems too soon. Um, and, uh, and certainly with the PS4, with the, the, the kind of mini um, step-up ramp-up with the PS4 th- Pro and the um, the Xbox, Xbox One X, that, I don't know, it seems um, it seems early, but obviously it'll come and people will buy it and it won't matter. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's, there's, there's that much actually to, to say about this, um, mm. other than it will be interesting to see how others follow suit uh, whether it be yeah. this year or next year. But I, I think it's one hand leads the other in that Sony, like, we don't have much to offer and um, we know that it's not going to cause that much of a dent to us um, if we 
don't have as much of a presence and you know mm. whatever they do have to show they'll have the boost there players will get a chance to play I don't know fucking Days Gone or whatever <laughs> um, and that'll be it but yeah uh, I, I don't actually think this is as big of, of a story as uh, possibly it should be um, and I think it's largely just down to you know this isn't Sony freaking out or making any bold decision it's just we got nothing so what's the point of us you know spending investing money into something that yeah exactly there isn't a lot for us to get a lot out of yeah uh no true enough uh moving on anyway uh the steam link it's not really huge news necessarily because if you were watching uh the the price is being cut repeatedly on this thing uh, the Steam Link is dead. They're they're not producing any more of it. They're just kind of trying to sell out the stock. Um, even though they were still kind of updating the firmware and adding features to the thing, I, I think this is one of the rare occasions where we see in Valve completely throw in the, the towel on a big project. Um, it was kind of, like I said, the, the prices were repeatedly slashed. This is the idea that it wasn't actually a Steam console per se, but it was a kind of a, a a a hub for you to be able to play your games from your PC on your TV without having to connect your PC to your TV. It was like if, an if Apple you, TV you get what I mean. to a certain degree. Yeah, essentially. Uh, but it never really seemed to catch on with people. And I think part of that is down to, I, I think that a lot of people who would be the hardcore Steam users who would appreciate um, like new technology and things like that, that would be early adopters don't want to move off their PCs because they've already spent a fucking enough money on them. <laughs> and will continue to spend more over the years. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on this one? Because I, I don't really, apart from like this was, you could, you could see this happening a long time uh, down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't, paid much attention to it uh, since its release um, I mean Valve are in a position where they can try out these kinds of things and they're not, they're not going to take too much of a loss uh, in the grand scheme of things while they can still sell hats on Dota 2 um, mm. so I imagine the next big thing for them after this I mean, they're, they're probably still looking more into um, VR and, and some sort of kind of Valve centric VR console that will come with Half-Life 3 somewhere down the line um, or the Half-Life 1 re Black Mesa remake um, mm -hmm. yeah I, there's there's not much to say I mean we've seen uh, Google and, and Apple uh, have similar uh, things to this and I, I had an Apple TV and I didn't get much use out of it um, and I think that people that you know use their PCs for gaming um, certainly for the, the kind of more hardcore market, uh, certainly those that use Steam, um, I'd imagine a significant portion of them already have a setup that works for them and they have no need to uh, stream it to, to their TV. And I don't know what the lag latency uh, and whatnot is like. I imagine because of Valve that it's, it's good, but uh, I'd, I'd imagine still that people have their setups and they're comfortable with that and it just it wasn't a necessary purchase and if it's not a necessary purchase, um, it's it's not going to do numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Activision, shock horror, got in a little bit of hot water this week. Um, so the, the Spyro Reignited trilogy came out about a week or two weeks ago. 
Um, and everyone was delighted because it's, it seems to be a pretty damn good remake of a game people have great fondness for. Uh, but the problem comes in the accessibility options for this game. Um, there are no subtitles, which is even... Even when Spyro originally came out, <laughs> subtitles were kind of just a done thing in games. Um, so it's wild to see a game come out in 2018 that doesn't have subtitles. Now, I would imagine that the actual reason the subtitles aren't in it is because they ran out of fucking time before this game came out and subtitles was really low down on the lists of things they want. Um for this game and seemingly no no one had kicked up a stink about it at the time but seemingly crash bandicoot as well um the the insane trilogy didn't have subtitles either uh, at launch but it was patched in later uh the the reason this has kind of come under fire in particular is because of the response from activision where they basically the basic response, it was such a like a 10-year-old child's way of responding to something. It was like, well, there's no rule that I have to do it. Uh, and that was it. Their, their response from the official response from Activision said that there's no industry standard to provide subtitles for games. Which, Mark, sometimes saying nothing is better than saying what you said. Sometimes I wonder, like, because all of these companies have their own... Um... PR sections and like I work in uh, I work in the games industry and certainly for me um, the, the, the PR... oh my god are you Hideo Kojima I'm not funnily enough no <laughs> on my off days I try um, the PR section certainly is does feel separated from um, even from what I do in, in support and community management which you think there may even be some sort of crossover, but there really isn't. So I can see how the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing sometimes. And there must be someone um, higher up who read that statement, who didn't green light, didn't uh, approve of that statement. Or maybe they did and they're just everyone's just completely fucking incompetent. But it's, it's an astonishing statement to make because, yes, fine, technically... If you want to look at it by the book, there is no uh, legal industry standard that subtitles are a necessity and a requirement in uh, in video games. But though it's not a, a legal requirement, that doesn't mean, you know, for the most part, you look at any uh, major release um, going back however many years you want to go yeah. back. By, by the book, subtitles are a thing that are included. Yeah, there's a difference between, yes, like a legal standard that, you know, the ESRA makes you do or whatever, um, or, or things you have to do for a game to make cert. There's a difference between that and then kind of industry norms that um, are expected by developers to provide and expected for consumers to see on, on their games. And I think really in the grand scheme of things, it, it wasn't like they were asking for... We've talked about games like Tomb Raider, which have experimented with additional accessibility options. Um, we're asking for what is essentially the the bare minimum of accessibility of adding subtitles. Now, I'm not somebody personally who is hard of hearing whatsoever, but I just I like having subtitles on a lot of the time. Um now, I don't think Spyro would have been one of the cases where I would put on subtitles, but sometimes it's a case of, like, you have characters in 
a video game who are gruff and difficult to understand. Or sometimes you like to listen to a podcast while you play games and would like to have the subtitles on so you don't miss anything substantial. Um, so it would be very nice to have the option, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I I can't imagine that Spyro, um, uh, the, the three Spyro games have uh, a wealth of uh, dialogue, but still between the three games, there's probably a sizable amount. And if you then take all of the, the languages that the game is translated into, um, there's a fair amount of work there that goes without saying. Um, but the very, very simple response to this is, oh, yeah, fair enough, I see what you, you, you said there. We'll get this patched in uh, as soon as possible, uh, at a later date. Um, but, uh, hey, look, what you can do is uh, chalk this up to just to some bad PR and... Uh, and hopefully Activision will uh, be wary about the words they use if they fall into this kind of spotlight again. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what they say, Activision never learns. It's a very popular saying. You find it in fortune cookies. <laughs> Speaking of people who never learn. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, Bethesda's Fallout 76, boy. which is just a roaring trash fire, have technically. You, have you spoken to uh, Brian at all? Do you know if he has Fallout 76? No, I, I knew he wasn't going to get it. Uh, like, it was a kind of, he was going to see how it went and maybe get it at a later date. One, because he's very busy, uh, as he generally is. And two, because even he could see from a mile off that this wasn't going to be the Fallout game for him. Uh, he doesn't really like playing with other people. So I this, can this identify one. with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm the, the exact same. It's just I like mm, I wouldn't. After being burned with Fallout Four, now I eventually did come back and enjoy Fallout Four. But after being burned with Fallout Four, I will never buy a Fallout game or an Elder Scrolls game at launch because I know better. Um, but anyway, Fallout Seventy Six's first major patch because my God, there is so so much wrong with that game. I would urge just. Go look at it. I think Jim Sterling has collected uh, some gameplay, if you can even call it that, of Fallout 76. And wowzer. <laughs> it's, it is something else. The patch to try it, it's the, and you just know, because it's a Fallout game, because it's Bethesda, that it's not going to fix everything. The patch to fix some things in this game, 47.25 gigabytes. That is... Wow. And that doesn't include for the things that they'll break from this patch as well. But here's the thing. So Wesley and Boo from Eurogamer went in to have a look at the kind of what the file sizes were going to look like before and after. So prior to the patch going live, Fallout 76 on PS4 took up 53.04 gigs. Post-patch, post it takes up 53.23 gigs. So the update replaces pretty much most of what was already there. I... It replaces 47 gigs, like, of stuff that was already there. I mean, I don't want to... We're stating the obvious here. Um... Like, that, that, that's not a patch. Like, that is you're having limbs and organs transplanted. Yeah, and, and you kind of have to take a step back, and you have to kind of really question, how was this allowed to be released? How did this hit gold in the state it was in? Um... I mean, I presume it had a, a deadline that had to be met, and I, you know, I only, I see all of this, and we've been talking uh, a lot this year about uh, crunch times. Um, that's been, you know, one of the big kind of sticking points with any developer uh, this year, and 
there's no way between at the point that this game was released um or maybe there was no crunch and that's why the game was released in the state it was because it was like right no crunch but we're still releasing at this point so whatever the fuck we end up with just drop it at that point but considering the the amount of of, of tweaks and just the sheer size of the patch in question like there must have been just a, a distressing amount of work that's had to be been put in um, and, since and the, launch the sad thing is that the pre-launch ad campaigns they were doing online about you know the the wink wink nudge nudge joking about fallout games being broken now is kind of they can retroactively go well we told you i was like that doesn't make it fucking excusable like the fact that you're willing to joke along with the fact that it's an, a well-known industry standard that your games are fucked isn't funny and isn't a kind of... Uh, it isn't funny when you're in on the joke and it isn't funny that you, you've you acknowledged the joke so you know that it's a problem and you still won't fix it. You've brought out a game that's arguably even more broken than Fallout 4 was when it came out. and Which is impressive. Yeah, and because there's... There are two developers here that are, I feel, more guilty of this than anyone else. Uh, one of them is Telltale, and the other is Bethesda. Um, and one of those is dead. Yeah, now Bethesda obviously is obviously in a, a lot more of a, a stable condition, but you definitely have to think that at some point uh, this will come back to, to bite them. And it probably yeah. won't, because again... And, it, well, and because they've got so many satellite studios that actually put out games that work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the Bethesda game studio games in particular that are fucked. Yeah. Um, so like um, oh, I can't remember was it Arcane in Texas who put out Prey Prey worked perfectly from day one yeah. but the, obviously the... Machine Games with Wolfenstein and Id with Doom uh, and I can only hope that Rage 2 which I'm very excited for comes yeah. out relatively unscathed um, next year but I mean this is both a col- this is a combination of the game being horrendously broken uh, but also just not being particularly good um, yeah. which is that real kind of one two that um it's very damaging to the reputation of a developer slash publisher uh, in this case. Um, yeah. yeah, just what a. This is already um, late in the game. This this is a, a clear nominee for the uh, Konami Konami Corner for Ineptitude Award. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a late runner, all right. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of Konami Corner Award, uh, a man who a man this week in the press vows to do a thing he definitely will do. Uh, Cliffy B, Cliff Lezinski, has said that he will never make another video game. So this is on the back of uh, a bunch of different things that happened. Uh, so Cliffy B went independent, set up a studio, uh, Boss Key Productions. They worked on a game called Lawbreakers, uh, which was kind of like a, a, a character shooter thing. That they, Really, it wasn't that bad. The, the worst thing that happened to it was that it happened to come out around the same time as Overwatch, while Overwatch was still in its pomp, and it just got fucking smashed in. Like, what was that other game that came out like within a couple of weeks of Overwatch? Oh, God, I know the one you're thinking of, and I can't, yeah. I can't. Um, and and there was evolve as well. Like there's there there's a long history of if you're not the first one, I need I need to look it up because it's gonna piss yeah. me off now. If you're not the first one with the game, uh, you will get completely smashed. And Overwatch completely, and not so much anymore. I know it's still huge in certain circles, but it's not got the the mind share now that everybody's on to battle royale games. Uh, so he did that. 
they were making fuck they were making some other game i think yeah this game radical heights which they were trying to make in a real hurry and put it out to try and kind of inject some money back into bosky and that didn't work out um, and they ended up shuddering and he's had a, a tough few months in his personal life as well between his studio closing down and his dog died as well the poor guy um so kind of i would imagine the emotions of of 2018 really getting the better of cliffy b here a man who always uh, you know wore his emotions on his sleeve and it was kind of what people loved about him at first that he would he was a very straight talking kind of guy in the games industry for an industry where everybody doesn't want to tell you anything uh he was very frank about how he felt and, and, and things like that so battleborn battleborn that's it yeah um so yeah Cl- the the studio is gone and cliffy b says he'll never make another game again um i i'm I'm just saying right now, Mark, I don't buy this. I think he goes away for a while. He licks his wounds. He looks after his family and everything like that, and he will be back. Do you know what will happen? He's going to come back, and he's going to announce a collaborative effort between him and Phil Fish. <laughs> the lads. I wonder, what, I wonder what Phil is up uh, to Oh, I days. can't wait for Fishy B Studios. <laughs> oh, boy. It's, and all it's going to be is... Um, is like a Twitter um, simulator, and it just allows you to tell everyone to go fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, in uh, PlayStation 4 news, to celebrate the fifth anniversary of that uh, just industry-leading console at the moment, they released some statistics. Allow me to run you down these statistics, Mark. Uh, um, be comfy. Okay. Worldwide selling numbers for PS4 units. We are past 86 million. It's 86.1, I believe, to be exact. Software numbers sold for PS4. 777.9 million plus units. Um, 11 major software updates. We're at 6.0 at the moment. The top five selling titles. Shock of all shocks. Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, Call of Duty, World War 2, FIFA 17, FIFA 18, and Grand Theft Auto 5. They also ranked the top five DualShock controllers, which I won't read out. Uh, Most popular titles on PS4, Call of Duty, uh, FIFA 17, FIFA 18, Fortnite, and GTA 5. Shocking. Um, The most downloaded PS Plus games, which is an interesting one, uh, Call of Duty, Black Ops 3, Destiny 2, uh, Friday the 13th, Just Cause 3, and Mafia 3. Uh, and the the rarest PS4 model that uh, was the 500 PlayStation, the 500 million PlayStation uh, edition that they released to kind of pat themselves on the back, which is a really, really beautiful blue and gold PS4. That would be the hardest one to find, which is amazing because I would have thought that special anniversary 20th anniversary ps1 colored one might have been the hardest to find but there you go yeah not really much more to say about that mark no certainly they've sold a lot of some numbers i think it's i think it's fair to say that that the ps4 has won this uh this console generation i i think so that'd be a bold statement to make Mm -hmm. indeed Um, now i i will say this like what do you think was the number one thing um not that I have the answer, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Like, what do you think is the number one thing that helped Sony to win this over Microsoft, considering where we were at the start 
of this console generation and how the uh, roles have just reversed. In two words, Microsoft's hubris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll give you another two words. Don Matrick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that E3 could literally not have gone worse. And I think that single-handedly... Speaking of PR. Yeah, that persuaded enough early adopters onto the PS4 that when people then started coming to the console over the, the years, all their friends were already on PlayStation. And it's amazing considering like some of the choices that Sony have made over the last couple of years that haven't painted them in the best light. That yeah. it's still, still but to this point. Everybody's already here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's too late. So, uh, yeah, congratulations to Sony. I can't wait to see how they manage to fuck it up trying to palm off to the next generation. But here we are. Um, the author of the Witcher series, Andrzej Sapkowski, uh, has failed in his attempt to get more money out of CD Projekt Red. So we we covered this a while back on the program. And that was the idea that basically when CD Projekt Red optioned the rights to the Witcher series, they came to Andrei Sarpovsky and they said to him, would you like a percentage of the profits? And his whole philosophy of the game was, one, he didn't think it was going to do that well. And two, he didn't like the idea of... Uh, his novels being adapted for a video game. So he refused, kind of Alan Moore style, to be associated or to take a cut of profits from The Witcher. Fast forward to nowadays, where The Witcher 3 just fucking cleaned up financially and propelled CD Projekt Red into being one of the most, the, the, one of the critical darlings of the industry and one of the, the powerhouses. Uh, looking forward to that cyberpunk. God fucking damn, man. Um, so I'll read from the story here. Um, they offered me a percentage of profits. I said, no, there'll be no profit at all. Give me all my money right now. The whole amount. It was stupid. So he was kind of like, I don't think your game's going to make money. So give me fucking loads of money now when you have none. <laughs> and I will I will be done with you. Um, so who, he said, but who could foresee their success? I couldn't. Um, so he basically demanded... 12.4 million pounds sterling for additional royalties and cd project said no um which by the way funny that yeah kind of like and you know even though i think you know obviously he's the author and he, he definitely should get a cut of the profits i think if you've gone to him in good faith and made the offer and he told you to go fuck yourself i think like, at that point there the developers are within yeah. their rights to say well we offered you this and you went no so you go fuck yourself yeah, so he he demanded an attempt to open legal proceedings to try and get money off them. Uh, it's failed because of that, basically because he had refused their offer before and wouldn't kind of negotiate a deal. And the one thing I will say is that CD Projekt Red said it's a, it's currently still an open issue. Um, so the, they're they're not looking to completely ignore him, but they're looking for a more kind of reasonable financial request. Yeah, I would imagine that there will be some sort of out of court settlement that will be, I would imagine, for a significantly uh, smaller amount of money, some way down the line. Yeah, yeah, probably possibly, possibly, quite possibly. Um. Here's one that kind of uh, leaked during the week, and that is a new Alien game looking to make its debut at the Keeleys, which are next month, uh, that time of year again. Uh, so someone spotted a 20, 20th Century Fox trademark for an unannounced video game called Alien Blackout. 
the trademark tallies with a Twitter tease that Jeff Keighley posted, which was in the Wayland Utani Corporation font saying worlds will change on December 6th at the Game Awards. So obviously the the history of aliens as a property being adapted for video games is patchy. Alien Isolation. Absolutely fantastic. Alien Colonial Marines. I can't do any better justice to that than Jim Sterling, so go look that one up. <laughs> Good lord. Um, yeah, I'll be excited. If it's more like Isolation, I'll be quite happy to see it. Um, I, no, there's yeah. not really a lot that can be said at the moment, considering that um, considering who's behind it. There's not. It's, it's a new studio, effectively. There's... Uh, there's not really a lot we can can discuss until uh, until we see more. But yeah, as, as you've mentioned, um, Alien over the years has had its fair share of uh, unique takes. Uh, I remember playing Alien Three on the I want to say the Mega Drive back in the day, which is like a side-scrolling kind of shooty type of game. Uh, that was that was all right. Um, and I remember playing uh, a little bit of Alien Isolation uh, when it was first uh, being shown around all the the trade. Uh, festivals and shows and stuff um and you can imagine dave you can imagine that me playing alien isolation in vr went about as well as you'd expect uh and i never went back to it mm. i can yes I, I i fully believe you mark i, yeah. I have no problem believing that yeah. mark in our final news story there are several white whales in the uh, video game industry in the biz in the rumor mill i was gonna say games all, all that... the whales they just play um uh clash royale and uh <laughs> and Dota 2. these games where you hear whispers whispers of a nameless fear this game that's definitely coming is coming anytime now they're going to re-announce it um, the, the Half-Life 3s of the world for years, Duke Nukem Forever was one. The the Chinese democracy of video games. Um, Which you never want to put. No. <laughs> but at least one studio has had the decency to put two bullets in the head of one of those rumours and uh, it was discovered this week that Rockstar have allowed the trademark to lapse on Agent. Which... Mark, I can't fucking tell you the first time I heard of Agent, this this Rockstar game that was going to be coming. I believe it was announced, yeah, 11 years ago, uh, 2007. And every so often, Agent comes back to us. I was like, hey, they're doing stuff with Agent. It's like, oh, you know, I've heard there's leaked artwork or, you know, I've spoken to somebody off the record who works on Agent. It's still a thing. Um, so this one... It's it's they've they've allowed it. You kind of every so often you have to file paperwork with a trademark office to show your interest to still hold on to the property and develop it. They've completely allowed it to lapse. So so that what? one is dead. I have never heard of this before. Really? I uh, this has completely passed me by. Oh yeah, man! This was one of the great like will it happen sort of games for years. I'd been hearing about Agent, and in spite of hearing about Agent for years, I couldn't really solidly tell you what that game was going to be. It was just one of those they were going to do a secret Agent game. I remember the logo. I remember a couple of leaked screenshots, but nothing more than that. I don't think any gameplay ever got out, although I I could stand corrected on that. Um, but yeah, it was just this weird kind of property that's like, oh, Rockstar doing a secret agent game. I bet that'd be pretty fucking boss, and I bet it would have been. 
Um, but I, I guess when you release Grand Theft Auto games and Red Dead Redemption games that make more money than God, you don't really need to do anything else anymore. So Agent is gone. I wouldn't be particularly, uh, if you're one of the remaining Midnight Club fans out there, I wouldn't be holding on to your hats. Uh, or what was it they called? Um, oh, fuck. Um, oh, yeah. Um bully to jack's back ah yeah the one that Riker got on the fake canadian amazon twitter he set up fuck's sake <laughs> canadian walmart that was a yeah he set up a canadian walmart account and put in bully to jack's back i will say um <laughs> that i see that you you wrote down about skyward sword to switch and i'm glad you oh, passed yeah. it by because that gives that game the exact amount of reverence that it deserves. Yeah, so I, I just wanted you to bury it. Uh, and buried, I I have. Um, it's a terrible game. Doesn't need to yeah, on Switch. I was like, I saw people getting excited about this. No, no, those uh, on, people, on Twitter, and I was like, those people are that insane. Game's bullshit, though, isn't it? Those people are actually insane. I mean, if they want to go ahead, there are point, part, parts of that game that are interesting. Um, now, if they want to, like, kind of Wind Waker HD take. And, and pull and twist and tweak certain parts of the game to make it better, that's grand. But that would also require them to remove about half of the content of that game, which, in honest, was only just a duplicate of the other half of the content of that game. And there's also Faye. So, just a terrible game. Doesn't need to be ported to Switch. It'll happen. It may sell a few copies, but nah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, that's the news done for this week and we're going to wrap up the show with a special kind of book club where it's game of the year season folks um and and we got our big year-end special where we got the preparations are well underway now at this point mark i would say um and as such we're going to do the tradition we kind of started last year where uh every week leading up to game of the year we're going to get you a little bit hyped we're going to start announcing categories from next week um and the nominees and as i said earlier in the program you're going to be able to get involved over on our twitter and our facebook to help us break some ties if we need to uh, by casting your vote more on that next week i'll explain on the show um but for this week we're going to take our our biggest category 2018's game of the year and every week we're going to talk about a handful of the games that are up for that particular award just very kind of bite-sized book clubs uh for three of them just so that you're all aware of like how packed this game was and just how much shit we had to fucking cover uh in the build-up to these awards so this week we're going to talk about the trio of onrush yoku's island express and god of war we had that thing that everybody wants. Good time in a hot devil beef feel strong. Now time how to tell you, give me what I want. Cause we make a little love, kick it from the night till morning. Cause you made me up
Right, Mark, this is going to be a, a more loose discussion than we're used to on the book club without our Wikipedias and stuff like that. These games are pretty recent, and I kind of want to save the deep dives for years to come when old man, older man Robinson and older man Dave uh, want to uh, sit down and talk about these games in a more formal book club format. So these will just be a bit of a chat. Um, and let's start, we'll save the biggie for the last one, our main event. Um, let's start off by talking about Onrush, which was um, a, a, a not quite racing game, a, a more a car combat game that kind of came out of nowhere for me this year, a Codemasters game. And I remember this one being a, I, I didn't have any hype leading up to it coming out and it was Barry who started playing it and go being like, yo, Onrush is legit. This is <laughs> this is the burnout game you've been waiting for for quite a while. Um, yeah, but what do you think about Onrush? So I didn't get to spend a lot of time with uh, Onrush. Um, I, the time I have spent with it was around yours um, a little while ago. And yeah, it uh, as mentioned... Um, it's kind of the the, the modern uh, take on burnout, um, and and going further with it, doing a, a little, a few more things with it. Um, it has that kind of velocity and speed that you look for from a burnout game, um, and includes the general level of, of chaos as well that you get from a burnout game, um, and you know is. In some degrees, a racing game, but you know, it, it it's a there's other things going on that doesn't make it necessarily you know a racing game. Um, I again, I didn't spend too much time with it, so I'll, I'll leave this to you to kind of give your real kind of in-depthish thoughts on it. But I very much was into Onrush. Um, it's something I would like to spend some more time with. Uh, I will try and do at some point. Um, mm. hopefully before the end of the year before we do the uh, end of year show yeah so I wouldn't have like a huge amount more to say to it than um, we, we said when I when I was starting to play it but it's a, it's a it's a car game unlike many that, that come out at the moment the, the finish line or where you're really positioned couldn't fucking matter less in Onrush um, it's all about being on these circuits where you're completing objectives or, or challenges or it, doing car combat in in different ways so you have like um the you have uh, overdrive where you basically it's a mode where you you score points by how fast you're traveling you, you different things like wiping out some of the decoy ai cars um and wiping out your opponent cars build up boost there are also little tokens to build your boost going along you also build up boost by catching air and landing and pulling off expert driving um and basically the more you boost the more you use what would be in other games because they're like your nitrous boost the more you boost the more points you get so at the end of the round whoever has boosted the most throughout wins um things like countdown where it isn't important if you're first second or third but you only have a certain amount of time to get through the gates um so your your team will start losing points if you're not making it to the gate so it's important to travel in packs and and uh, try not to get destroyed too much. Um, 
there's one there's kind of like a, one of the cleverer ones is kind of like I can't remember the name of it now but it's kind of like uh, King of the Hill in a first person shooter where um, there's a moving target going around the circuit and you have to get members of your team into the circle for a certain amount of time and if members of the opposing team come into the circle it slows down the rate at which you're taking over the circle um and I'll, and if there's more of them than you then they'll start taking over the circle things like that it it's really like it's a really clever way of trying to gamify a destruction derby is how i think of it, it the music is fucking pitch perfect for a game like that it's real kind of like gets the adrenaline going uh, as you're speeding around the place um it looks real pretty it's really the controls are uh, like i know i've listed out a bunch of different rules for the thing but once you pick up the controller it's so intuitive so easy to play which is for this kind of arcadey game it's it's really uh, important that it strikes that kind of casual note uh the only real shame of it and the the reason why i would be playing it more is just it didn't get the player base i think it came part of the reason was it came in at too high a price point i think it was like a full price game um but it came within a couple of weeks there was a flash sale where it came down to about 30 quid and i think that's where a lot of people hopped on it um and i think that's where it should have stayed to be honest yeah Um, i mean it didn't feel like it had the distribution of a full price game um, yeah, and it's weird. It's it's weird how we where we are at this moment in time in terms of kind of what feels or what you would justify uh, paying for a game. Um, and I guess because of like the the burnout comparisons, um, directly or indirectly, you know, at this point, um, I wouldn't see myself paying you know full price for a burnout game in twenty eighteen. Um, so it's it's weird how that works and how the mindset thinks that way um but yeah it, it definitely has you can't even really describe why jack has just joined the show again he hung up again I thought that was you. No. <laughs> that was my Jim Smallman impression. Oh, boy. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. It doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> no. Talk about Yoku's Island Express. I will do my best. Uh, Yoku's Island Express is... Uh, it's a platforming pinball adventure video game uh, developed by a Swedish studio called Villa Gorilla. Uh, it's published by Team Seventeen. It's their debut project, uh, and it was released for Switch, Windows, PS4, and Xbox One. Uh, so you play as uh, this little dung beetle called Yoku, um, who is uh, who becomes a postmaster when he arrives on this island. Uh, and there's this kind of big, overarching uh, disaster calamity um, that is going to see the, the the island's kind of godlike deity figure uh, that will be attacked. Uh, and you kind of have to go around the island uh, by way of um, pinball, effectively, to, uh, to to unlock the mystery of the island and, and save the, the deity figure. Um, in terms of story, it's just whatever, it's there just, just to be there. Um, 
it's such a unique game in that it uses pinball as way of, of traversal around the environment, and it does it very effectively. And it has this... There, there are two parts, basically. There, there are the kind of core-focused pinball parts that feel like, you know, actual pinball. Um, and then there are all the, the rest of the island that has... Um, you know, your traditional elements of platforming, but also, you know, there are bumpers that are around the place that you can use to, to elevate yourselves higher. Um, there are locked-off bumpers that you need to collect fruit, and then you pay with the fruit to uh, to unlock those. Um, and there's an abundance of fruit on the island to collect. Um, it has a real... You, you know... You know that kind of charm that you get with, like, a, a Yoshi's Woolly World? Uh, yeah, yeah. It has that level of charm to it, and that level of cuteness, and, um, you know, the way that you can say hello to people by, uh, you have, like, a little kind of party popper that you can blow, um, it's just, it's a very cute game, and it's actually very well designed, um, you know, it doesn't just kind of rely on, on the charm, it actually has, uh, has a lot of char uh, challenge to it, um, some of the uh, pinballing sections and like you know, the way you have to kind of work your way up um, with a kind of level of verticality um, it, it's actually at points uh, very challenging um, it's a very unique game it's, it's definitely um, one of the most memorable games I've played this year um, because of its concept and how well it executes it um, and it's, it's a game that I've put down for a couple of categories for, for the end of the year show um, and I don't think I'd fight too hard to put it in, a, in say, like a top three, but I can definitely, definitely see, for me personally, like, if I was doing a top ten, uh, I, I think that the, the you, you know, there's no other game like it this year, you know, there are other Metroidvania-type games that I've played yet this year, um, and you could argue that some of those may be better in certain aspects, but um, none of them uh, work in the way that Yoki's Island Express do. Uh, and I think that it's a game that, um, <laughs> as we say with so many other games, it's perfect on Switch. Uh, you know, you pick it up, play it for 15 minutes at a time. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it, it comes with a, a real recommendation. Yeah, um, that's one I need, I, like, I need to have a look at. I, I just, it's one that I, I've flirted with the idea of getting a couple of times but just other stuff comes out or there's more pressing matters to attend to but uh maybe i'll get a look at it in the next couple of weeks before the show um, i mean it's rap it's a game you'd, you'd polish through in about two three days easily so mm. um wrapping things up uh a game i can sum up in a single word boy <laughs> i i have this thing at work you know the meme where uh where kratos is just kind of i, I don't know if it's kratos but he's kind of like his hands kind of together and kind of pointing at his mouth and there's like two screens two images one's just kind of him like that and the next is just boy and i keep doing yeah. that at work and i keep laughing and it's stupid but yeah boy 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 what a game what a game god of war is you know what a fucking game and like part of this, the, the surprise is like part of the the greatness of it is. Did you ever expect in the year twenty eighteen that we'd be saying that about God of War, a game that had, like really as a franchise more than run its race by the time they had finished making the old ones? Indeed. And and here we are now, and it's just it was one of the most awe inspiring experiences, both in terms of just the visuals of that game being fucking gorgeous and 
the way it, the way it rethought not only the mythos of God of War by putting it in a Norse mythology setting, but also the way it rethought the minute to minute combat, making it more a character action game than a real button mashy fuckfest, um, and and building what is genuinely like a touching relationship. I know we 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 laugh a bit, boy, but. Genuinely, there are moments there where big, gruff Kratos, like it, it really shows like a depth, which is something I, I never thought I'd see. It, it's a game that, while breaking with the tradition of the old series, um, also has a couple of very poignant nods back to the the originals, uh, particularly when it, that that whole sequence in the kind of at the end of Act Two of the game, where he gets in the boat and there's this really solemn scene that takes place, and then you figure out he's he's heading back to get his blades. Yeah, uh, and that is fucking fantastic, and that even adds in another layer of combat. I think the the design of not only the combat itself, but the the upgrades you can do and, and what you can add and the little, the, the amulets and things, the way you can kind of basically adjust your loadout based on the way you play the game is, is really clever. I think, I don't think the game outstayed its welcome either, although you could correct me if you, if you see otherwise, I think it was the perfect, the campaign and that is the perfect length of time I wanted to spend with that. Uh, I would um, say that certain aspects of the pacing of the story, um, felt at times a little bit clunky to me, um, mm-hmm. though I I would agree with you that the actual overall um, arc of the game I was fine with, um, but I do feel that um, the game kind of feels like it has um, several uh, introductions, if you will, uh, kind of adding on a whole new layer of uh, uh, level design or, or um, kind of uh, parts of the map that are available um, and the way that you get to the kind of center of the map and then you can go through the different um, uh, realms, uh, it, it, it kind of, in a way, it felt like you're like, okay, right, I'm going to go and do each of these realms and pick whatever I need to do. But it, it at that point, at times, kind of felt like, you know how um, in Wind Waker you have the first two dungeons that you do and then the third one is just, it's already completed for you and it was clearly just a... a a case of they didn't have time to finish the third dungeon, so they just kind of give you whatever you're looking for. I'm not saying that was the case here. Uh, I think it's more intended by design the way it is, but certainly where you have the the nine realms available, um, it, it felt like you were going to do this sort of like, right, going to go through each of them to do whatever I need to do. Um, and it doesn't quite go with that direction. Um, but definitely I will agree that the overall length of time uh, is is fine um but the pacing of points with certain bits uh, felt a little bit clunky yeah no that's that's absolutely like um yeah that's absolutely fair um i what else really to say about this i, I the, the the audio design in this as well i think is a thing that that's relatively unheralded 
um i think that the, the soundtrack to the game is real ominous and cool and just it's perfect it's like it's not a game that's going to win soundtrack in terms of the actual like score yeah i'm not, I'm not throwing design. this on spotify but yeah. in terms of like this is perfect for what i'm doing right now is is awesome i i um, will say that we've got of war um and this goes back to the original trailer we saw for the game that clearly they were taking uh ideas um straight out of the the naughty dog playbook um you know, there, there's there's a lot of influence, whether it be um, Uncharted or The Last of Us uh, in God of War. But at never at any point while I was playing it that I feel like this has been ripped from there. But you can just tell that the, the this game was influenced by those those two games in particular, or just Naughty Dog in in particular. Um, and I'm really curious to see like what other studios or in within Sony looking at. Um, other franchises, what they can do to take uh, prior franchises and then do a new spin on them. Because as you mentioned, like we'd pretty much seen all we needed to with God of War between one, two, and three. Um, and I didn't think that you could take God of War and a give it a more heartfelt story because the story yeah. of of God of War is Kratos hates his dad, and you know. Um, that's pretty much it, and the, you put it through an anime blender, and you're off you go. To mm. to add some real weight and depth to this story between Kratos and his son, and and how they uh, how they explore that relationship um, is actually done with some real sentiment to it um, that I didn't know they'd be able to pull off because of the character of Kratos, um, and it's fucking really actually when I think about it. Uh, an astonishing achievement what they did there yeah absolutely. and also throwing your hammer and, and all your axe and having it come back to you like force hammer oh, is... the, the single most satisfying uh gaming like little little thing yeah, all year without question just the the thunk yeah. of, of the axe coming back into your hand is just mwah. um and i Love i it. made some complaints um when we originally spoke about god of war with uh it's um, use of skill trees and, and those kind of RPG elements that are found in a lot of the, the open world games of um, the last couple of years, but I think a lot of them are very much a preferential, or just my own thing, but, you know, I complain about it in God of War, I complain about it in Spider-Man, it's here, whatever. Um, it, it doesn't offend me as much as it does in other games, so, yeah, there. Mm. Yeah. God of War, it's uh, great. It's, it's fucking incredible. Like, there, there's no reason not to play it. Yeah. I think that's as good a time as any to draw a line under the show for the evening, uh, bring things to a close. Next week, we'll, we'll talk about a couple more of these games that you might need to be aware of going into our Game of the Year show. Um, and I'll kind of break down in more detail how you can help us break some ties when it comes to that, because we don't want any um, draws this year, if at all avoidable. Anyway, that's going to do it for episode 129 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. It all helps. Our website is linktothecast.wordpress.com. If you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com. But social media, probably the quickest way to keep up to date with our stuff as we post it and talk to us if you have an idea for a game of the week or uh, you're like, hey, you two talked a bunch of bullshit about this thing and you're completely wrong, which I'm surprised we haven't been hauled up 
more on stuff that we're definitely incorrect on uh, on this program. But facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter are the avenues through which to do all that jazz. Uh, on Twitter individually, Mark is at Lithium Project. I am at the day to Dave. Uh, if games aren't your only interest, we have some other podcasts under this umbrella for you. Our once in a while pro wrestling podcast, The Grap Up, of which we will be recording an episode this week you lucky devil so keep an eye out for that over the weekend and then the popcorn social which is the the show that myself and jack where we try so hard with our new work schedules to make it work and it just keeps not working but i really want to do a christmas film special with them um and and maybe get yourself on mark if time allows uh for a bit of that yeah i'll talk about die hard yeah damn right uh so we will hopefully get one up before christmas and then figure out something for the new year now that my once construction has finished on my house and and work settles down a bit when i'm not going to different nights and training things all the time um but these podcasts plus our weekly link to the cast flagship broadcast are all available in the same podcast feed so just subscribe to link to the cast on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on and that will do the trick you'll get all of them down there in the one feed and of course if there's any episodes you want to go back to we may well have covered it already the game you're thinking of in the back of your head now for a book club feature uh so search the archives either on our website or on itunes or wherever you like to listen to the podcast and maybe we've already done one and you can go back and listen to us with varying degrees of audio quality um that is the end of episode linked to the episode 129 of link to the cast i have been your weary host dave ryan the man on the line has been mark robinson and we shall see you all next week maybe we'll get more impromptu calls from jack but who knows bye-bye who knows yeah (laughs) bye-bye